the, the, the all the projects that were put into it in, into effect during during the Great Depression that saved this country. But the right has bad made socialism an evil word. We have to change its interpretation. It's for the people. Mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong with the government taking care of the people instead of the corporate heads and the, the 10,000 legal lobbyists, men who are legally paying congressmen to do their bidding. Mm-hmm. In any other world, that would be called immoral. Thank you very, very much, John. We really appreciate John from Staten Island. And I really appreciate the compliment that you gave to WBAI about us being the voice of truth. You get lots of different uh, viewpoints here. You get lots of different reports from all over. It is our pleasure to have you here with us today. And we are going to be going to the Bernie Sanders rally. I'm actually told our Sean, our engineer, says that we have a feed coming in with Jane Sanders, which is the wife of the uh, senator speaking right now. So just remember our pledge line. 516-620-3602. You're listening to WBAI New York, and we are going to go to a feed of Jane Sanders speaking right now in Brooklyn. I feel honored to be his wife, and I know that might not be politically correct to identify myself as a wife, but it's one of the greatest honors of my life. You will also hopefully get to know the man that our children, grown children, still look up to and our grandchildren adore. Our sons, Dave and Levia, are here with us today. Our daughters, Karina and Heather, and the rest of the entire family will be with us throughout the campaign and you'll get to meet them as well. Today is only the beginning. This is not a moment. It's a movement and Bernie <laughs> and Bernie and I and our entire family are so pleased, so happy to be in it with you. Thank you so much. Please welcome to the stage President of UE Local 506, Scott Slauson. Good afternoon, brothers and sisters. What's up, Brooklyn? My name is Scott Slauson. I'm the president of UE Local 506 of the United Electrical Radio Machine Workers of America. We represent 1,700 advanced manufacturing workers in the proud blue-collar town of Erie, Pennsylvania. We're a generational workforce, and I'm here today with Janet Gray from our sister local, UE Local 618, whose history and struggles parallels our own. WBAI New York. I want to say thank you to Senator Sanders for his unwavering support to our fight against Wabtec's attempts to destroy the living standards of Erie County, Pennsylvania. 
I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for Bernie and our membership strike against Wabtec. His support has given our fight national attention as well as international attention. The Senator has embraced our community and our local. You are our brother, Senator Sanders, and we thank you from the bottom of our hearts. Last week, Wabtec took over General Electric Transportation Division in Erie, Pennsylvania, where we build world-class locomotives. We attempted to meet with the new company last year to start contract negotiations, and they refused. Oh. They waited until the end of January to meet with its largest and most complex unionized workforce. Instead, they were too busy running around forcing concessionary contracts down the throats of workers in smaller Wabtec facilities around the country. After a mere seven sessions of negotiations had produced little progress, we proposed a 30-day interim agreement based on our current terms and conditions. This would have given both sides more time to negotiate a brand new contract and ensure labor peace. As I said before, we were looking for peace, they were looking for a fight. Our current terms and conditions were negotiated over the last 82 years and have made GE Transportation one of the most successful companies anywhere. The company told us today they were not interested. Today, 1,700 families are standing on a picket line in freezing cold temperatures in Erie, Pennsylvania, saying, we've had enough. They insisted that all of our 450 workers on layoffs would be treated if, as new hires if and when they got called back to work. They would be paid twenty dollars to $30,000 less per year for the same job. Those are wages we were making in the 90s. They would force mandatory overtime and make up to 20% of our workforce temporary. Almost 400 workers with no union, low rates of pay, and no benefits. Again, we said we had enough. Those terms were unacceptable to us, and we will not go to work for Wabtec under those terms and conditions. These conditions don't just destroy our families, they destroy our communities. They destroy the company you cannot have two-tier wage systems or a temporary workforce for high-skilled manufacturing employees and expect a business to be successful. We make a living wage, and for that we don't make an apology. Generations of family in Erie have fought hard to build a great standard of living for us. We're not going to throw that away for our children and the generations of the future. just so a greedy corporation and its shareholders can take more. We know what works. With decent pay, solid benefits, and strong job protections, we make a high-quality locomotive, we turn a good profit for the company, and we provide a solid economic foundation for our community. It's that simple.
If you gut the living and working conditions, not only will you hurt the members of the community, in the long run, you'll hurt the company as well. On top of all that, the company is insisting on combining our job descriptions, which puts our members' health and safety at risk. That is something we absolutely will not tolerate. Today, 85% of our workers work voluntary overtime. When you force people to work mandatory overtime, how do you expect a community to thrive? They want to force people to miss church, weddings, birthdays, little league games. Our members want the freedom to be able to help the community, to be in their children's lives, in their school activities. My union, UE, is proud to stand against forced overtime. 40 hours is enough for the employer to control your lives. For decades, working people in the communities they live in have been beaten down by greedy corporations while they pay themselves millions in bonuses and stock options. This is wrong. It's a failed model, and we in 618 and 506 in Erie, PA, and our community intend to change that. We are fighting for every worker's right to family-sustaining wages, good pay, decent benefits, and solid work protections for all. It's time for men and women to make a stand. And with the help of our community, our politicians like Bernie Sanders, and the great people here today, we are making that stand. We will bring unions back to America. We will bring justice back to America. We will make the American workers proud again. Thank you. Please welcome to the stage, Reverend Representative Terry Alexander. Good afternoon. So this is how you do it in Brooklyn, huh? You're listening to live coverage of the Bernie Sanders rally at Brooklyn College, WBAI, New York. This is how we do it. Listen, I, I am not from New York, and you're going to hear that in my, in my drawl in a few minutes. I'm from the great state of South Carolina. So, so you may be wondering, why am I here? I, I'm here in, in this cold. <laughs> I'm here because while this may be the place Bernie Sanders grew up, the campaign is going to be going to run bigger than any one place or region. This campaign is about the entire country to defeat Donald Trump and transform this country. transform this country into a compassionate, progressive country we know that it can be. This campaign is about creating America that provides equal opportunity, creates equal justice, 
under the law and extend equal rights for all. Now, 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 Brother Sanders, if I hope you don't mind me, I'm calling him that, did not grow up with a silver spoon in his mouth like our present president. He, he is the son of an immigrant whose parents struggled to make ends meet and survive right here in Brooklyn. Where we come from, and the struggles of our family shapes our worldview. And so often the work we choose to do in life will shape our world's view. Mr. Sanders coming up has shaped his world view. He understands the plight of the poor. He understands the plight of the working class. He understands the plight of the immigrants. He understands the plight of people in the north, in the south, in the east, in the west, in the middle of this country. This is going to be a precinct by precinct, ward by ward, county by county, state by state, campaign. We're going to take it to the streets. We're going to take it to the streets. We're going to take it to the streets. Burn, Bernie, burn. Burn, Bernie, burn. Burn, Bernie, burn. Let's go to work, America. Thank you very much. Please welcome to the stage, Senator Nina Turner. Brooklyn! Brooklyn in the house. Wow, the Reverend did that, didn't he? <laughs> you know, I want to take a page, Brooklyn, if I might, if I may, from the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. When he said that the measure of a man is not where they stand in times of comfort and convenience. And if I may paraphrase, it's where they stand when things are shown up going wrong. That's the measure of a man. It's not where they stand when things, Brother Sean King, are polling well, but it's where they stand when the vision is ahead of the people. That's the measure of a man. And I submit to you, Brooklyn, your homegrown senator has shown throughout his life his measure. And we firmly understand the mission, but today you're going to understand the man. When you are willing to stand up and say in the face of people saying that it will never happen, 
that in this country it is immoral for folks not to have health care. That's the measure of a man. When you are willing in the 1980s to be one of only two white elected officials to stand by the side of the Reverend Jesse Jackson when he's running for president, that's the measure of a man. When you are willing at the age of 19 to know that in Chicago, housing discrimination against African-American folks was rotten to the core and you are willing to be chained to a black woman on the front line, that's the measure of a man. And when you are willing to go to Canton, Mississippi in 2017, Brother King, to Marshall, Mississippi with people like Brother Danny Glover, to say to the Nissan workers who are trying to unionize that you have a right to have a union and to live a good life, that's the measure of a man. And when you are willing to look Jeff Bezos in the eye, Come on, somebody. Come on, somebody. To say to the wealthiest man in the world that it is a sin and a shame, that it is rotten to the core, that $11 billion company refuses to pay their workers a living wage and to get that $15 an hour. Baby, that is the measure of a man. And when you dare during the debates in 2016, when the question is asked of you, what is the greatest existential crisis to this nation? And you say boldly, climate change, that's the measure of a man. His history defines him. But it's not just about what he did in the 60s and the 80s and the 90s. It is what he is doing right now. The true measure of a man, somebody that is willing to lead, somebody that is willing to have a vision even when other folks can't see it, somebody who's willing to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help us God. You're listening to former Ohio State Senator Nina Turner. She is the co-chair of the Bernie Sanders for President campaign. That the son of this city has been standing on the front lines for a very long time. Standing up for working people in this country, black, white, brown, red, yellow, and the swirl in between. Gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender, queer, Jew, Gentile, Christian, Buddhist, atheist, standing up for the people. That's the measure of a man. And so I submit to you that we're going to take this on home. That we're going to start with, we're going to finish what we started in 2016. That this is a moment of transcendence. And our mission is so high, 
we can't get over it. And our mission is so low, we can't get under it. And our mission is so wide, we can't get around it. And with these hands, there's an African proverb that says that many hands make for light work. Can I see the hands? Can you raise your hands? All over, can you raise your hands? With these hands, we're going to transform this country in a way that they've never seen before. With these hands, we will have Medicare for all. With these hands, we will have college for all. With these hands, we will make sure that the working poor and barely middle class in this country have a system that answers to them. With these hands, we will rise. Please welcome to the stage, journalist and activist, Sean King. Brooklyn! What's up? Put your hands together one more time for Nina Turner. Now, about nine months ago, in Los Angeles, I co-hosted a criminal justice reform event with Bernie and Patrice Cullors from the Black Lives Matter movement. And it was so warm. <laughs> it was so warm and beautiful outside. But in that event, I got the wonderful opportunity to introduce Bernie. And after I introduced him, his wife Jane and his son came up to me in tears and they said something to me that I have never said out loud until now. They said, Sean, all these years, we've never heard these stories that you told about our Bernie. And I could hardly believe it. And they told me that Bernie just never wanted anybody to feel like he was using his time in the civil rights movement for his own personal gain. And the truth is, that's what we love about Bernie. But here's the thing, because most of us never heard these stories about him growing up here in Brooklyn or being a real activist in the civil rights movement in Chicago, because we never heard those stories, for most of us in our minds, Bernie has always been a disheveled, gray-haired, bespectacled politician. Like for most of us, Bernie starts in our mind for who he is right now today. And don't get me wrong, I love who Bernie is today, but I need to tell you a little bit about how he got here. Here's why, listen. His journey to this moment is so much of what makes him special and what makes him different. And it's his journey here, not just his political views, not just his policy plans and ideas, it's his journey to this moment that makes me trust this man with our future. Listen, Bernie Sanders was born right here in Brooklyn the same year the Holocaust began. The next year when Bernie was just a baby boy, his uncles Jacob and Abraham, his aunt Shana and her son Leopold were all killed in the Holocaust in Poland. 
<laughs> Hold on. That's the wind. Right. Bernie never met them. And in the community that Bernie grew up in right here in Brooklyn, this was a common story. Every other shopkeeper, every other neighbor had all lost huge swaths of their family to the Holocaust. And to come of age in that time, in that space, it gave Bernie a deep sense of right and wrong. But I also think that the trauma that Bernie's family faced and experienced, it also meant that you really didn't talk about your pain. It was just too hard. And right before Bernie started school here at Brooklyn College, his dear mother Dora passed away. And just two years into his time at the University of Chicago, his father passed away as well. And so you have this young 19-year-old man whose father narrowly escaped the Holocaust, whose parents both passed away. You have young Bernie Sanders alone in Chicago at the height of the civil rights movement. And I need you to understand that we must reject this idea that who Bernie was in the 1960s is irrelevant. I reject it because who you are and what you do, what you fight for, who you fight for, and who you fight against, it's always relevant. Listen, 20 years from now, 30 years from now, 40 years from now, when people step up and run for office, what they did and where they were during the Black Lives Matter movement, it will mean something where they were during the Muslim ban, where they were when immigrant children were being ripped away from their families, it's all going to matter. And here's the truth. If what Bernie did in the 60s doesn't matter now, then what we're doing right now doesn't matter, and you and I know it does. Nina quoted it earlier. Dr. King said, the ultimate measure of a man is not where he stands in moments of comfort and convenience, but where he stands in times of challenge and controversy. Bernie was just a teenager when he moved from Brooklyn to Chicago. And it was the most tumultuous and challenging time that this nation had faced since the Civil War a hundred years before that. And most Americans, particularly most white Americans, remain completely silent. And it was that the speaker is Sean King. You are listening to live coverage of the Bernie Sanders rally at Brooklyn College. This is WBAI New York. In the face of assassinations, in the face of attack dogs being released on children, it was actually that white silence that broke the heart of Dr. King as he languished in the Birmingham jail. And it was that silence in the face of evil that Dr. King said actually tells us more about the soul of America than the brutality itself. And Bernie loved Dr. King, young Bernie. And long before we used the phrase white privilege, Bernie had the notion that he needed to use his own white privilege to fight back against racism and bigotry and inequality. He's been doing it. And Bernie had a desire to hold this country to a higher standard, and that feeling began to well up in Bernie as a young student at the University of Chicago. Bernie actually became the chairman 
of the university chapter of the Congress of Racial Equality, CORE, and he merged that group with SNCC, the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee. Listen, these weren't just photo ops. Bernie literally helped lead the first known sit-in at the University of Chicago. He's been doing this. 33 students camped outside of the president's office protest protesting segregated housing on campus. Listen, Bernie was so disturbed by police brutality in Chicago that he once spent an entire day blanketing the city with flyers on the issue only to notice that he was being followed by police who were following him and taking down all the flyers. Listen, Bernie hates telling these stories and he's resisted using them for political capital across the years, even when we've told him, Bernie, you've got to tell your story. It's because he does what he does because he cares. Listen, he's always felt that what he did in the 60s paled in comparison to those who were beaten or lost their lives. And so he's kept some of these powerful stories to himself. But let me tell you something. He did march with Dr. King. He attended the March on Washington, but he did even more than that. Listen, this is not some exaggerated myth. This is the origin story of a political revolutionary. Let me tell you, in 1963, just nine years after Brown versus the Board of Education, the white power structure in Chicago was still fighting against school equality like their lives depended on it. They literally treated black children in Chicago like they had the plague. And not only were black schools underfunded, they were overcrowded and bursting at the seams. And at the same time in Chicago, every single black classroom was past capacity. Sometimes school children were sharing chairs and desks and sitting on the floors. And a report found that 382 white classrooms across Chicago were completely vacant. Mayor Richard Daley and the school superintendent Benjamin Willis decided that before they would allow a black child to fill a white classroom, they would start putting raggedy trailers on playgrounds and in parking lots to give space for black students. And those trailers were broken down. They were scorching hot in the summer and bitterly cold in the winter. They would allow rats to come in and out of the trailers at will. And these awful trailers became known around Chicago as Willis Wagons, named after Benjamin Willis, the school superintendent. And just a few days before the March on Washington, listen to this. In August of 1963, the city of Chicago was about to install some more Willis wagons for black school children. And a brave group of interracial local activists and organizers decided to put their bodies on the line and block the installation of those trailers. And Bernie was one of those activists. Listen, Bernie Sanders literally stood in front of bulldozers to block the installation of those Willis wagons. And as Nina said, those young activists cha literally chained themselves together. And out of reverence 
for what activists in the South were doing. Bernie has downplayed this demonstration, but it was a powerful moment in the student movement. Side by side with two black women, Bernie chained himself to them and refused to move. Listen, even when the Chicago police told them that they were going to arrest Bernie and forcefully remove him, he refused. Even when they decided to arrest Bernie and pick him up and carry him out of that parking lot, he kicked and screamed and resisted the entire way. Have you seen that photo of the police carrying Bernie? I love that photo. He won't even let his feet touch the ground. Listen, and that photo to me is not just who Bernie was, it's who he has been his entire life. Bernie has been giving the man hell since the day he was born. <laughs> He's been doing it. And for you to tell me that all of that means nothing is preposterous. It means everything. Bernie was a protester. He was an activist. He was an organizer. And he is literally the only person in the United States Senate with this story. I could tell you a dozen more stories, but I wanted to tell you who Bernie Sanders was when it counted. I wanted to tell you who he was before we knew him, before we ever felt the burn. Before he ever ran for office, before he was ever a national figure, he was a fighter for the people. Listen, he has always rejected the status quo. He spoke out against apartheid in South Africa when crazily that was an unpopular thing to do. And even today, he speaks out against apartheid-like conditions in Palestine, even though it's not popular. Listen, I don't care when 45 calls him Crazy Bernie because he is just a little crazy. And I think all of us got a little crazy in us, if you know what I mean. Here's how I was in California when Bernie Sanders went to Disneyland and literally said that he did not think that Mickey Mouse and Goofy approved of Disney not paying their workers a living wage. You got to be a little crazy to do that. Who does that? How is it that one in 10 of their workers had been homeless the past two years? That two out of three of their workers were food insecure and three out of four of them don't even make enough money to pay their rent? Do you know how much guts it takes to call out one of the most beloved brands in America for underpaying their employees. And guess what happened? Disney announced that they are going to pay all of their workers at least $15 an hour. I don't want to hear where people say, what has Bernie done? That's what Bernie's done. On just this past September 5th, Bernie Sanders and Congressman Ro Khanna introduced a bill it's how I know Bernie's a little crazy. They called it the Stop Bezos Act. <laughs> yeah. 
Let's not beat around the bush. It's the Stop Bezos Act. That was on September 5th. And three and a half weeks later, Amazon finally caved and announced they're going to pay their workers at least $15 an hour. Listen, in 2016, like so many of you, I campaigned hard for Bernie to be president. And to this day, I still believe that he would have beaten Donald Trump. I want to share a personal story with you, though. Nothing touched me more, nothing sticks with me more than how Bernie on the campaign trail in 2016 showed so much love for our friend Erica Garner. She was fierce. She was one of a kind. She spoke truth to power right to people's face. And when most campaigns were rejecting her and criticizing her, Bernie brought her on the campaign trail. When you get home, I'd like for you to go to YouTube and search Erica Garner, Bernie Sanders campaign ad, because I think that campaign ad was the most compelling ad of 2016. Erica was forced into becoming a revolutionary freedom fighter after the NYPD murdered her father in cold blood. I know we might be on TV right now, but Erica had a bullshit detector and she could see BS from a mile away. And so many politicians had looked her in her face and lied over and over again about the justice they were going to give her family. And Bernie was one of the only po political leaders that she trusted. And she loved him. And she gave her life fighting for justice for her father, Eric Garner. She was just 27 years old when she died of a heart attack two Decembers ago. In my very last conversation with Erica, before she passed away right here in Brooklyn, was about how much we both loved Bernie and how much we both hoped he'd run again. Listen. She loved him because she knew that at his heart, he was just an activist pretending to be a politician. Listen, she knew that he was an activist determined to change the system from the inside out. And Bernie, if you can hear us, we're out in the cold right now. We're standing with you. Yes, Bernie, because we believe in you. But Bernie, we're standing with you because you help us believe in ourselves. You help us believe in our potential to make this country and this world a better place. Bernie, you help us believe in big ideas. And that all these years that you're still a dreamer makes us think it's okay to be dreamers ourselves. Bernie, we love you, man. We love that your campaign, that our campaign kickoff for you was in the snow and cold because we hope it shows you, Bernie, that the people are with you. Brooklyn, Brooklyn, are you feeling the burn? Listen, Brooklyn, thank you for braving this cold weather, but without further ado, let's give a huge welcome to our brother, our friend, our fearless advocate, Brooklyn, give a hometown welcome to the man that has been speaking 
truth to power for generations, the next president of the United States of America, Bernie Sanders. Let's go. You're listening to live coverage of the Bernie Sanders rally at Brooklyn College. This is WBAI New York 99.5 FM. And we are watching here the feed, which we are listening to right now, of Bernie Sanders, uh, candidate for president once again. Bernie Sanders, a Democrat of Vermont, a senator, coming through the crowd at Brooklyn College with his wife. See people waving Bernie signs. Some of them look like the original Bernie signs that we saw back in 2016. I'm Celeste Katz. You are listening to WBAI 99.5 FM, streaming live at WBAI.org. Big, enthusiastic crowd out here, Brooklyn College, where Bernie Sanders himself studied. He was born originally, uh, came from Brooklyn, grew up here before moving on to Vermont. And what we are expecting today, just looking at some of the uh, the advanced reviews of his remarks, is um, a lot of old Bernie, but some a side of Bernie Sanders that perhaps we have not heard as much about before about his his personal life, his personal involvement in activism, in social justice, going back to his days as a student, uh, something that Bernie Sanders has not really emphasized, his family background, uh, being the son of an immigrant from Poland, having people in his family who were, who were uh, preyed upon and killed by the Nazis in Germany, uh, excuse me, in, uh, in Poland during uh, the uh, World War II. He's focused a lot on policy issues, so we may see a very different Bernie Sanders showing another side of himself, reaching out to people in a more personal way. So let's listen to him now. You are listening to WBAI 99.5 FM New York. Brooklyn, thank you. What an incredible crowd. Thank you so much. Let me let me thank Akila for her wonderful rendition of the Star Spangled Banner. Let me thank Scott Chawson who is standing up not just for the workers in Erie, Pennsylvania against corporate greed, but for every worker in America. Scott, thank you very much. 
And let me thank Representative Terry Alexander of South Carolina. And Terry is right. This is going to be a 50-state campaign. We're not going to concede one state to Donald Trump. And let me thank my very good friend, Nina Turner. Nina has been with me all across this country. Nina has helped develop one of the great grassroots organizations in this country, Our Revolution. And Nina is mobilizing people from one end of this country to the other. Nina, thank you very much. And let me thank Sean King. All over this country, and I'm going to say a few words about it today and more tomorrow, people understand we have a broken criminal justice system. And there are few people in America more than Sean who are fighting to change that system. Sean, thank you. And lastly, let me thank my wife and my family. Thank you, Jane and Levy and David and Heather and Karina and all my beautiful seven grandchildren for the support you've given me. Thank you all for coming out today. And let me thank the weathermen for giving us Vermont weather. Thank you. And thank you all for being part of a political revolution which is going to transform America. Thank you. No, no, it is not Bernie, it is you. It's us together. And I want to thank all of you for being part of a campaign which is not only going to win the Democratic nomination, which is not only going to defeat Donald Trump, who is the most dangerous president in modern American history. But with your help, we are going to transform this country and finally create an economy and a government which works for all of us, not just the 1%. Today, at our very first rally, I want to welcome you to a campaign 
which says loudly and clearly that the underlying principles of our government will not be greed, hatred, and lies. It will not be racism, sexism, xenophobia, homophobia, and religious bigotry. It will not be tax breaks for billionaires and efforts to throw millions off the health care that they currently have. This campaign is going to end all of that. The principles of our government will be based on justice, on economic justice, on social justice, on racial justice, on environmental justice. Today, I welcome you to a campaign which tells the powerful special interests who control so much of our economic and political life that we will no longer tolerate the greed of corporate America and the billionaire class. Greed which has resulted in this country having more income and wealth inequality than any other major country on earth. No, we will no longer stand idly by and allow three families in this country to own more wealth than the bottom half of the American people. And while these families become richer, over 20% of our children live in poverty, veterans sleep out on the streets, and senior citizens cannot afford their prescription drugs. We are here to tell the 1% that we will no longer tolerate 46% of all new income going to the very richest people in this country, while millions of Americans are out working two or three jobs just to survive and pay the bills. Today, we launch our fight for a political revolution and we say to the private health insurance companies, whether you like it or not, the United States is going to join every other major country on earth and guarantee health care to all people as a right. And you can spend all of the money you want against us 
we will have a Medicare for all single-payer system. And today we say to the pharmaceutical industry that you will no longer charge the American people the highest prices in the world by far for the medicine they desperately need. <coughs> Whether you like it or not, your greed is going to end and we are going to lower the cost of prescription drugs in this country. Today, we say to Walmart, to the fast food industry, and to other low-wage employers, stop paying your workers starvation wages. Yes, we are going to raise the minimum wage in this country to at least 15 bucks an hour. <coughs> and we are going to make it easier for workers to join unions. Today, we say to the American people that we will rebuild our crumbling infrastructure, our roads and our bridges and our rail system, our water systems, our wastewater plants and our airports. And when we do that, we're going to create up to 13 million decent-paying jobs. And today we say to the parents in our country that you and your children deserve quality, affordable childcare. And today, here at Brooklyn College, we say to young people all over this country, we want you to get the best education you can, regardless of your income. Good jobs require a good education. And that is why we are going to make public colleges and universities tuition-free. And why we are going to substantially lower the outrageous level of student debt in this country. America once had, once had the best educated workforce in the world, and we are going to make that happen again. And today, we say to our senior citizens in Vermont, in Brooklyn, in California, we know you cannot survive with dignity on $14,000 a year Social Security. My Republican colleagues in the Senate want to cut Social Security benefits. Well, we've got some bad news for them. We're going to 
raise Social Security benefits. Today, we say to Donald Trump and the fossil fuel industry that climate change is not a hoax, but it is an existential threat to our country and the entire planet. And we intend to transform our energy system away from fossil fuel and into energy efficiency and sustainable energy. And when we do that, we're going to create millions of good-paying jobs. All of us and every person in this country has a moral responsibility to make certain that the planet we leave our kids and our grandchildren is a planet that is healthy and habitable. And today we say to the prison industrial complex that we are going to achieve real criminal justice reform in this country. We are going to end the international embarrassment of the United States having more people in jail than any other country on earth. Instead of spending 80 billion a year in jails and incarceration, we are going to invest in jobs and education for our young people. No more private prisons. No more profiteering from locking people up. No more war on drugs that has destroyed so many lives. No more keeping people in jail because they are too poor to afford cash bail. And by the way, when we talk about criminal justice reform, we are going to change a system in which tens of thousands of Americans every year get criminal records for possessing marijuana. But not one major Wall Street executive went to jail for destroying our economy in 2008. No, they didn't go to jail. They got a trillion dollar bailout. Today, we say to the American people that instead of demonizing the undocumented immigrants in this country, we are going to pass comprehensive immigration reform. 
and provide a path toward citizenship. We're going to provide legal status to the 1.8 million young people eligible for the DACA program.